welcome to the Mind Tales podcast. We are a fast-growing tech mental health organization here to bring you the insights that you need to boost your emotional health and thrive in your daily life. It's our goal to make quality mental health care both accessible and inclusive. That's why part of our mission is to get discussions, conversations, and debates about mental health going. From psychiatrists to educators, entrepreneurs and community members, we bring you the stories and experiences of health advocates from around the world. And that's what we're going to do today. If you like our episode or have any suggestions for future content, please like it, leave a comment, or connect with us on Instagram at MindTalesOfficial. It makes us so happy to hear from the MindTales community. Hi, Jean. Welcome to the Mind Tales Collective podcast. How are you today? I'm very well. How are you? I'm doing well. Thank you. I'm so glad that you could make it. And I really can't wait to deep dive into these important topics of nutrition, science, and psychology, and how you integrate both of these into your approach to wellness. We want to give individuals adapted accurate and compassionate resources that they can reach out to if they want to improve their relationship with food in both a healthy and sustainable way. So before we jump into it, I would love to hear more about you and your personal journey, your interest in nutrition so far. Where did that stem from? And how would you describe moving to the UAE and all of the incredible work that you've been doing with the Perfect Balance Rehabilitation Center? That's, I mean, I think that's probably the question that stresses me more because I'm trying to pinpoint where it started and it's not as, um, I mean, there's so many things. And I, first, I think I, I love food and I always did. I remember back, like, I'm a little bit of obsessed with berry picking since I'm, I'm a child and we used to have like chickens. And uh, I remember my first trip to Montreal, like I'm outside of town. Uh, I'm from the French part of Canada, right? right? And so the first trip we took with school to Montreal, we went to the, the street market and we had to choose a fruit and I was so excited I still remember I, I, I chose a cactus pear I had like the prickly pear in my finger I heard about but I was so excited about food and I'm still really excited about food now um, but the way I got into nutrition uh, as, a, as a major at university I, I applied for nutrition and international relations and then I was accepted in nutrition I was leaving for travel so I'm like okay I'm just gonna go nutrition uh, in English which was not my first language and if it doesn't work out, then I'll switch, but at least I'll speak English. And in the end, I, I love nutrition. It was really hard to study in English. About the same time as I started university, my dad got diagnosed with diabetes. And, um, and I love my dad. <laughs> so I was like, okay, I'm going to study this and I'm going to change the world. Um, don't we all start a little bit like that? And so I went to McGill University in Montreal. And funny enough, in Montreal, nutrition is on the agricultural campus, not on the medical campus. So I was exposed to a lot of the farmers feed cities, a lot of the agricultural biology. Um, I did a lot of work in farms, in the, like the food industry, um, in the hospital setting, of course, for my internship. Yeah. But my first job that, and that's why I'm so excited to talk on the podcast today, was uh, in the mental, Montreal Mental Health Institute, right. Research Institute. And it was, it was my first job as a, as a dietitian. And you're kind of trying to put together like from the theory to the practice. Um, I had amazing mentors there, um, Chantal and Marie-Chantal, they're two dietitians that really shaped the way that I 
practice nutrition now. Um, so I did that for a few years. I worked two years in Haiti, more on a like women's health, agriculture, malnutrition project that I was leading. I went back to the mental health hospital to work again. I worked in Montreal also in uh, nutrigenetics, so the, con the, the link between DNA and nutrition. And then we moved to the Middle East to first, we spent a year and a half in Qatar. And <clears throat> now we've been, sorry, <clears throat> we've been here two years. And all to say that I think that if, because I love food, because I always love traveling and here, like, I think I get everything. You get cultures from all over the world, food from all over the world. Um, and mental health, I think, is a, is a very important part where you live abroad because you need to rediscover your, your identity a little bit and your support system yeah. and how like, you cope with change and all that. So it's been, it's been an amazing journey <clears throat> to apply um, like nutrition, mental health culture. And for the last two years, I've had the, the chance to work with an amazing team. I, I'm really biased, but I really love my team. I love my, um, the owner and the head, um, the head of the physiotherapy at Perfect Balance is Amy Gilbert. And um, I came on board nutrition, um, uh, sorry, at Perfect Balance at the beginning. So I think we just celebrated three years and I've been with them for two. So I got a lot of, of room to grow the nutrition practice uh, from a evidence-based, of course, because nutrition is science, but there's also a lot of, of psychology in the way that we practice what we do. Um, so there is what we do and then there's kind of how we do it. And all the team that I work with is definitely, whether it's physiotherapy for adults or physiotherapy for kids or physiotherapy for women's health and postnatal yeah. prenatal uh, physiotherapy or speech and language I think we're a little bit obsessed about how we do what we yeah. do and how we talk about health because there's so much out there so when your clients come to you for help with their eating habits their relationships with food your approach is very client-centered so you leave a lot of room for the client to chat with you and for you to get to know more about them. And so one of the tools that you use is called motivational interviewing. So I really want to hear more about this approach and how your practice supplements or works alongside a conventional one. Why do you explore context and schedules and the lives and ups and downs of people's day to day? You summed it up wonderfully as nutrition EQ. And that's very tied into your approach when you help clients build this healthy toolbox. Yeah. Um, so yeah. To, so to answer your question about how, like, maybe it's it's different a little bit from the conventional one. From where nutrition consultation started, I think that we were in a very prescriptive, and and healthcare in general was a very prescriptive science where people would come to us and we would tell them what to do. Um, we would kind of treat them a, a little bit as like empty vases, and then like fill them with like all their knowledge and tell them what we know. That's kind how is trained at university as well like here everything you need to know about nutrition science um go out into the world and spread that right so I'll, i would say 90 i don't have accurate statistic but the big big majority of people's experience around food weight body and whatnot is about going to a health professional often being quoted their bmi being told like a 15 20 minute session like you need to lose weight you need to eat less move more cut carbs and and if we're honest with each other that that never comes as a shock for anybody anymore nobody is like 
oh my god like this is unless you are like you're diagnosed with a with an illness and like you have a little bit of a of a health crisis or shock but in general it's done in a very casual way of like that's what you need to do uh your health problem or because of your weight and i I try to, the approach that I take is trying to move away from that because staying in that restriction and shame and kind of like weight and body and nutrition shaming loop doesn't tend to help people. And in some cases we see that in research from weight stigma and body image and a relationship with food and chronic dieting that actually is worse for health than actually overweight, right? So we, when we look at, um, people's experience most people have been giving a meal plan before but the way that motivational interviewing and talking about um I don't always use like client center or holistic anymore because I think people are kind of bored of hearing that and it's like okay that's a big word but in practice um I would say that for me it looks like asking powerful question is a lot more helpful than giving generic generic recommendation yeah um which would look like you know people don't necessarily remember always what they ate there's a lot of things that happen in the day there's a lot of automatic eating there's a lot of of unconscious eating there's a lot of stress moving from places to places so some of the questions that i will ask is about what has affected the way you eat today yesterday um, in general, what about your like past diets that are the food rules that are sticking with yeah. you today that are sometimes making pushing you to restrict or eat a lot of a food? So kind of that restrict and binge cycle. And by asking those open-ended questions, we get a lot more information about what affects people's choices and what can be the solution. So we uncover those as we go, all those things that people are um are expert at. So it's a mix of, I would say, evidence-based science, but also the experience and the feedback of what people experience in the day-to-day. Exactly. And that's so important because they're the ones going through it themselves and at the end of the day. Something that you mentioned to me that really stuck with me was that on great days, our plans that we have are different to the what we actually do on days when things aren't going as we planned and we're highly stressed and highly pressured. And I think that that's where your approach to motivational interviewing and understanding more about uh, the client can be really helpful. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, to go um, on on that part where you're talking about on a good day or a bad day, um, when we had a a quick discussion before we were talking about how um, one, for example, one meal plan, and some people will come to me and like, I really liked when I was on that meal plan, everything was going well, my life was structured and whatever. And that's fine. But I kind of see a meal plan as, as a tool, right? So let's say that one meal plan was like a hammer for you. And it, you know, it, it really worked for what you were doing at that point. But you can't fix everything with a hammer. Like in some cases, hammer can create a lot more damage than good. So we need to be flexible about the tools we use. And meal plan is just one tool that nutrition science adds, like out of so many. <laughs> so yeah. sometimes I feel like the conventional approach is really limiting people to be like, this is like the frame that you need to follow. This is a structure. This is when and how much you need to eat with very limited consideration to what actually happens if they our nurses, thank you nurses for doing all the work you're doing right now and all medical yeah. professionals, they don't have easy schedule or 
working moms or even non-working moms that are like navigating the yeah that's honestly this idea of how fluid it can be over your lifetime is what I wanted to chat about next so as we age and we grow our relationship with our body changes as well not only our environment so our response to different emotions and situations can vary and as a result sometimes what we saw as healthy eating habits when we were younger changes as we grow older from your perspective, what are some ways that individuals can check in with themselves and pay attention to these health cues as they grow into adulthood? And are there any tools that you teach your clients um, that can be adapted to different situations and boost their resiliency um, as they go through these situations? Yes. So it would be different tools for, for different of those things that you, yeah. you've discussed for sure. Um, but overall, what I would say is that that resilience to change, that's what we are, we're all faced with with COVID-19, I think. We were shook away in our toolbox from before of how we are satisfied and, and happy and cope with the reality then are not necessarily adapted to what we were living when we were isolated. I was listening to the podcast from um, Dr. Louise and she was saying people slept more. I saw a lot yeah. of that. And so some people reacted really well and some people had a, a hard time transitioning for what they were doing and what they can do now to cope. So in that resilience for food specifically, what I would say is we're trying to move away from a inflexible, rigid meal plan structure, uh, which can be super like, securing I don't know if that's a word but it can bring a lot of security yeah, or yeah. it can create a lot of anxiety it can be very draining to like follow rules all the times so instead of talking about rules sometimes I will talk about intention there there's an in, so if the rule is I don't I cannot eat after 8 p.m for example what I'm going to ask is okay that's that's true people say that all the time but what what would be your intention so in some cases the intention would be well if I eat too late then I get acid reflux or I had nightmares or I don't sleep well or I feel heavy um then for medical illness that we were you were talking about um the medical field when you're diagnosed with a certain illness I'll take diabetes or hypertension or high cholesterol they're very one directional about what you should do cut out carbs cut out fat um, cut out salt, right? So we fo focus a lot about what we need to cut out. And the strategies that I'm going to take is more about, okay, so if let's say um, you, this is what you do now, like right now, this is what it looks like. This is ideally what we want to move towards. If we put them on top of each other, what is different and what is similar? Exactly. And then we look at those, um, those things together in practice. Um, and for pregnancy and becoming parents, I would say that the biggest strategy is, well, not the strategy, but the concept behind it would be how do we adjust to being so busy and caring for a little human 24-7? So how do we rethink maybe food logistics? How do we rethink when are we going to eat? Um, maybe we're going to be so busy that we're going to feel hunger less because there's too much to do. And how can we cope with that? um or you know event or like moving abroad I think that's probably one of the things that I hear hear most from patients is that they move to uh, another country and they gained weight and and that is a display of how resilient we can be in a different environment because you're going to change lifestyle you're going to 
maybe the timing of your work is different. You yeah. know, some people move to the Middle East and they're kind of in this work hard, play hard part where yes. that can be that can put them off or their of their balance. Uh, some people will default more to ordering because it's available or because they're more busy. So we look at all those things that are affecting factors instead of um, the, the analogy that I give, uh, Rahisa, is if you're playing a football game and the entire football game, you're looking at the score and you're like, oh my God, I want to win, I want to win, I want to win. Or in this case, I want to lose weight, I want to lose yeah. weight, I want to lose the doctor said I need to lose weight. You're looking at the score consistently and constantly. You're not playing great. You're not running. You're not passing the ball. You're not. You're not actually playing. You're just. It. It becomes a little bit of an obsession on on the number and the yeah. scale, um, and that 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 creates cortisol, stress, and pain and suffering. So we're trying to move away from that and look at other strategies that yes might affect the weight, um, but. At the end of the day, there's other things in your worth in life than, than just, just the weight. Right. What I really admire about your approach actually is just the, everything that you're saying about intentionality, this mindfulness that you bring to understanding people's schedules and their day-to-day. -day, it's just, uh, personally, it's making me reflect as well on thinking a bit more about my day-to-day -day and, and how some of those things work out for me. So thanks for sharing that. Um, before we go, we want to chat about body image and weight stigmas and how they impact how we eat. So this often starts off from a very young age for many of us, and it can actually have an effect on how we develop and grow later on and how we understand our relationship with food. So even amongst young children, there's some empirical research showing that body image issues stem from as early age as age five. So with children and teenagers growing up in societies or communities, where they might feel this heavy pressure to look a certain way or for their bodies to be a certain body type. How can parents and guardians and educators, these role models play a role in interrupting this narrative and promoting more of a healthy body diversity amongst uh, younger children that can then hopefully promote that outlook later on in life as well? Well, I think what you said about the last part about body diversity is a big key. Um, because what we're exposed to in terms of social media is not always like I think we're doing a lot of headway. I think we're improving a lot about body diversity recently. But um, when you see cons constantly the same thin ideal in social media, that's what you think you should aim for. It's a little bit similar to um, if you're, you know, if you participate in a competition or a contest and you always see people that win yeah and you don't see the people that are struggling it gives you a false impression of what that is really about right like the effort struggle like success what that looks like um for body image for kids i think one of the thing is to to raise that critical awareness about body diversity and also about about filters and about different application to change your body and only display like a certain right. so raising critical um, thinking at an early age is definitely helpful. And when it comes to weight, I often like to work with parents first before I meet before before I meet the kids because they are the role model. They know their children best. And it matters what 
the entire family is doing, right? So the last thing I want to do when it comes to nutrition for kids is to single out a kid and be like, this is what you eat. This is what everybody else eats. That's not, that's not life. That's not to be always singled out. Like we want to belong as kids. We want to, to have like, you know, a sense of, of belonging and, and, and community and sharing meals and enjoying food together. So we can't, we will never be able to take emotion out of food. One of the, the approach that I, I really love and, and use often is called division of responsibility and feeding, where we're trying to respect the cues of hunger and fullness, um, mostly for the fullness part of the kids so that we don't um, feed them for a long, long time, or we let them decide when it's enough, but we are in charge of the quality of the food and the meal timing so that we don't continually give like snacks all day, but we have set timing where we sit together, we eat. Um, and then you choose from a variety of food, what will be enough. And I think the last thing that I really can't stress enough because people underestimate the impact is, is comments, whether it is positive or negative, um, celebrating weight loss or, you know, pointing out weight gain can have both negative, have both negative impact when it comes to, to emotional, um, response, right? If somebody lost a lot of weight, you don't know if they lost a lot of weight because of depression or because of illness or because of a variety of different reason. And if they did, because they dieted, well, maybe they'll they dieted in a really unhealthy way maybe they'll regain the weight and then that gap of how they feel about being yeah when they they're in a bit a smaller body will just be amplified so from that standpoint whether it is doctor i'd say doctors should not talk about kids body in front of the kids um if there's any concern um but also from family members um trying to intervene when there's a lot of comments about body weight or about our own weight as well. Like, oh, I don't like my thighs. I don't like this. I don't like that. I don't like my stomach. Kids will like, you're right. It's about your own body. It doesn't necessarily affect them directly. But at some point with different triggers and sometimes with puberty, that resurface and resurface yeah. really hard. No, as you're telling me all of this, I'm, I'm just absorbing it myself because it's so insightful. I would love to have hear more about this family dynamic approach as well. I love that you emphasize community so much when uh, talking about these approaches that no no individual just lives alone and functions alone. We're always part of an ecosystem. And you know, I, when Dr. Louise was talking about it, about positive psychology, it's like we, we need to stop putting all the pressure on individual and we need to address the system. And I think that in nutrition and health, there is a system of, uh, of the thin ideal and the, the the thin privilege of people being treated differently depending on their body size and that's a systemic issue that needs to be discussed and and kind of uh, work through as a society and as a family and then as an individual um i am so excited also to just touch on your relationship with mental health before we say bye um so what does self-care mean to you and what are your top three tips um that you use so I'm, I'm, I would say for, uh, for COVID, for example, the way that I personally related to mental health and trying to stay sane was to readdress, reassess my toolbox of what I do in a day to day and how did that change and what I want to add in that toolbox and what needs to be chucked out. Um, that's why you see a ukulele because <laughs> yeah. 
trying to move away from the screen and trying to just do something else uh, with my time. Um, and I think from that toolbox, we need a number of tool that is realistic, but not overwhelming, right? Sometimes we we kind of launch yourself in like a million different direction. I'm definitely a little bit like that because I'm curious about so many things, but we need a certain amount of like options to choose from that is realistic yeah. and that is kind of um, not too little so that we get bored, not too many so that we get overwhelmed. So addressing that toolbox, I think would be the first thing. Uh, the other thing that I would tell, not necessarily, well, I, I do that professionally, but personally, I would recommend for people from a mental health standpoint to do a little bit of a cleanup checkup with their social media um, because it affects us on a daily basis, multiple times more than yeah. we think. So anything that is moving towards um, body shaming or disordered eating or a little bit of that mentality, or if you do like me, you'll look like me. I don't think that's necessarily a healthy way of looking either at body or food um, and be critical in that sense. So I would say, um, doing that cleanup and following more people that have you know that promotes body diversity um yeah. and body acceptance and work against weight stigma um so that would be two and then three i would say probably uh moving in the direction of whenever we want to make changes and we, we talk about lifestyle changes or health mental health, physical health, it's always an action mode, right? Like I'm going to start this. I'm going to, tomorrow I'm going to start running. Tomorrow I'm going to start this diet. Tomorrow I'm going to eat more of this, more of that. Let's, and it's always action, 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 moving forward. And one of the things that I do a lot with patient is to do a balance of action taken, but also reflection. So what happened last week? What happened yesterday? Like, can we reflect compassionately and observe what, what was affecting my behavior then? And do I need to change the environment or the factors that are affecting that or my reaction to that instead of always just blindly going into action mode and following um, the next trend or the next cool thing or the next exciting yeah. um, recipe, but do a little bit of reflection and action balance. Yeah. And I, I mean, I would say that that is particularly helpful in nutrition because there's so much information out there. And people tend to say that knowledge, motivation, and willpower is, is the way to health, mental health, and physical health. And I disagree with that because comes a point where there's so much information coming from outside that it crushes us. Yeah. And when I talk about that balance, I talk about balancing out outside information and inside information of inside information would be hunger, fullness, emotions, uh, like physical sensation, and outside information would be all those food rules, trends, social media, and all that. And I feel from a mental health standpoint, a lot of us feel crushed by the amount of information. So that would be probably the third, but top one tip yeah. that I would. Yeah, no, the idea that we're only human at the end of the day, and even with the perfect toolkit, I think compassion is so important in just shaping our day to day and all of these wonderful tips that you've given us. I honestly can't thank you enough, Sean. Nutrition is something that MindTales has been wanted to talk about for quite some time. And I couldn't think of a better way to have introduced it other than having a conversation with you. Is there any way that our audience can keep up with the work that you do or get in touch with you if they're interested in learning more about um, the center that you work at? 
Absolutely, yeah. Um, it, I can give you my my email address if anybody wants to email me. Um, I'm also quite responsive uh, for discovery calls or if people are wondering if it could fit, like my approach can fit the way that they're working or the illness that they're working with or and whatnot. Um, I can be reached on on WhatsApp as well, and also. Um, Facebook is probably where, uh, Facebook and Instagram for Perfect Balance were quite active. So if they email the clinic, um, all those are forwarded to me and I'm happy to get in touch with people to, to start a chat. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much. Thanks for tuning in to the Mind Tales Collective. If there were any questions that stood out to you, don't let these conversations stop here. Share your thoughts with your family and friends or send over a quick message to us on Instagram to share your thoughts with us. And don't forget to hit the follow button. You can find us at Mindtales Official. We know it's been a tough year. We want to remind you to check in on how you're feeling and ask for help if you need it. Remember, self-care is more than a band-aid. Your mental health is important. Stay tuned for more content next week. Take care and talk to you soon.